The following presentation is from Mountain Park Community Church in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Mountain Park, along with additional audio and video teachings, visit mountainpark.org. And welcome once again. Happy Resurrection uh, Sunday to y'all. Thanks so much for coming. So glad that you're here. Would you bow your heads and uh, pray with me? Father, we are thankful that we get to gather here today. I pray that you would help all of us to just uh, let go of whatever we brought into this place. Any anxiety, any uh, uh, stress about just getting here, about traffic, parking, seats, whatever, God, we want to meet with you now. Would you come and speak to us in a powerful way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. So thankful that you have endured whatever you had to endure to be here. We're here to celebrate an historic event, amazing event, Jesus rising from the grave. That event changed everything. Have you ever had a moment like that in life where, where something happened and then it changes everything? You're heading on a particular uh, trajectory. You're head, heading down a certain path. Something happens and then boom, you head down a different path. Maybe you're in school or you remember being in school and you're focusing on your studies and you're doing a good job and you are focusing on what you're supposed to be focusing on and you're paying attention to the teacher, the professor, whatever, and then you realize that he or she, a few uh, uh, chairs over, likes you. They passed around that note that says, do you like me? Yes, and the whole thing. And it just changes everything. It changes how you dress. It changes how you look. It changes how you pay attention, whatever. It changes everything. It kind of resets everything. Or maybe you have such a jam-packed calendar. Your digital calendar has just so many blocks on it. It's unbelievable. There isn't a, you have to schedule restroom breaks in there. It is so jam-packed. There's not a, a room for anything in there. But then when someone you care about gets sick, boom, all of a sudden, your schedule is clear. Moments sometimes in life, they come in and they change everything. Something that, that happened with our family that just changed everything was when we watched the movie Supersize Me. Remember that movie a few years back? It's about a guy who only ate McDonald's food for 30 days, three meals a day, McDonald's only food. That movie grossed us out so much. Prior to that, I, you know, not proud to admit, we ate a fair amount of fast food. Uh, prior to that, we watched that, and it, it changes. We watched it three years ago. We rarely eat fast food anymore as a family. It's unbelievable how much it has changed us, with the exception, of course, of Taco Bell, because that is authentic Mexican cuisine. <laughs> Let's be honest. That's a different category. So if you see me at Taco Bell, please don't judge. But, I mean, certain things happen, and it just changes the trajectory of your life. For these 12 disciples, for these 12 followers of Jesus, the resurrection changed everything for them. Prior to the resurrection, they followed Jesus, they respected Jesus, they loved Jesus. They loved being with Jesus, hearing from Jesus, witnessing what he was doing. But they would not have given their lives for him. We see uh, evidence in the Easter story of Peter denying that he even knows Jesus three times, denying Christ three times. Hey, weren't you with Jesus? No, not me. Don't even know him. Never seen him before in my life. Three times. And then we see in the story there's evidence that they're hiding in the upper room after Jesus dies on Friday and Saturday. And, and, and we'll even see on Sunday morning they're, they're hiding in the upper room with the door locked. They're afraid. But then Sunday morning comes, Easter comes, and it changes everything. 
We read in the book of Acts that the disciples radically and boldly respond differently than they had before. Their lives are threatened. They're told to shut up about Jesus, and they can't shut up about Jesus. They can't stop talking about Jesus, and they're talking and talking, and they get imprisoned, and they get beaten, and they get threatened. One section of Scripture says that they were flogged. And we read that, and it really doesn't mean that much to us unless we've perhaps recently watched The Passion of the Christ and we're reminded of what it means to, to take this whip that has bones and sharp uh, uh, rocks on it and whipped across their skin, across their belly, and it rips the skin off across their backs, leaving them bloody and sore and scarred for life. They would do this as a warning, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And they would leave and rejoice, the story says. And they would continue to talk about Jesus. They would not shut up. And in fact, if the, 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 the disciples, they all gave their lives as martyrs for the message of Jesus, with the possible exception of John, who may have died from old age on the island of Patmos, but he was on that island as a prisoner because of his faith. I mean, all of these disciples, they were radically changed. For the 12 disciples, the resurrection changed everything for them. This year we have a theme that we've been running throughout the whole year, and we will continue for all of 2012. It's 2012 A.D. A.D. means Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, and we're spending this whole year talking about Jesus, talking about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, not just to learn about Jesus and learn information about Jesus, but to imagine having an actual relationship with him, to imagine being one of the 12. That's what this whole lighted board up here uh, on the left is. A number of people have signed that to say, this year, <laughs> I want to interact with Jesus in a different way. I want to imagine what it would be like to be one of the 12, to actually spend time with Jesus and connect with him in that way. And so what we're doing this year is going through stages of relationship. Just like any relationship that we go through, we go through stages. And so this morning on Easter, we are launching into the third stage of this relationship journey. And this stage is called wonder. We're now moving into the miraculous and the supernatural. The things of Jesus that were, um, that were supernatural and how that would have an impact on our relationship with him. Next week, we're going to talk about healing, that he did a number of physical healings with persons. And what does that mean? Uh, does Jesus still heal today? Do you need healing? What might that look like? What happens if we pray fervently for healing and it doesn't happen? How does that affect our faith? How does healing fit in as a supernatural act of Jesus? And then in a few weeks, we're going to talk about exorcism. Yeah, Come on, you don't want to miss that one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a demonstration with my mother-in-law right here, right here on this very platform. I've been looking forward to this for years. Very much excited about that. Uh, but I no heads are going to turn around or anything like that. Well, but we are, we're true. We're going to look at demon possession. What does that mean? And, and what's the difference between how that looked at the time and how we experience that now? How does the supernatural and the miraculous encounter our lives today? What we read consistently in Jesus' story is that he, he downplayed the miraculous. He downplayed the supernatural. If you remember uh, a number of the stories, he'll perform a miracle, he'll heal somebody, and then he'll say, now go and don't tell anybody about it. You ever remember that part of the story? Don't tell anyone about it. One time he heals 
uh, he brings back to life a little girl, Jairus' daughter. And in essence, the community has gathered for her funeral. They're at her house, and she is laying in her bed, dead. And the family is gathered around, and they're weeping, and they're mourning. And Jesus is there, and he takes the mom and the dad, and he takes a few of the disciples. He says, come with me. Goes up to the little girl's room and brings her back to life and then says to everyone, don't tell anyone what happened here. <laughs> how's that supposed to work? They're at the funeral. I mean, how, how are you supposed to then go into the rest of the room? Just kidding. How, how is that? We just put, put glasses on her and the nose and the little mustache and introduce her as your cousin from Connecticut? Or how, how is this going to work? It's just he wanted to downplay the miraculous. He wanted to, to downplay the supernatural. He had a purpose for the miracles. The, the purpose did not stop with the miracle itself. It had another purpose. And we see clear evidence of this in John chapter 20. Each of the four Gospels, we're going to take a look at that. If you brought your Bible, turn to John chapter 20. Each of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the four authorized biographies of Jesus. And each of them has a, has a story, a perspective on the Easter story, the resurrection story. I want to take a look at the last couple verses in John, John 20. In John's version of the story, he wraps it up with these words. Beginning in verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs. And here he's following up the resurrection as a miracle. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus has a purpose for the miracles he performs. There's a reason for it. And the purpose and the reason is so that you, so that we may understand that Jesus is the Christ. The miracles don't stop there. Jesus understands that the supernatural, the miraculous, they get our attention. Jesus says, I want to take that attention and I want to draw it towards the truth, which is that Jesus is the Christ. The miraculous, the unexplainable, it gets our attention. It's intriguing. I remember growing up watching a show called That's Incredible. Anybody remember that? Fran Tarkington, they would come, and Kathy Lee Crosby and John Davidson would come out and tell us amazing things of people and animals and circumstances around the world. That's incredible. Wow, tell me more, tell me more. I go to these wonderful tourist traps around our beautiful country, and there's the Ripley's Believe It or Not uh, section there, and I just want to check those out. The amazing, the unexplainable, it draws us in. It, it gets our attention. I wish this morning I could do something that would be just unexplainable and amazing, and it would get your attention. If I could, I would have your attention, and, you'd, and, and uh, you know, if I could say something like, I, I could read your mind right now. I can enter in and I can read your mind. You'd say, no, you can't. And, and if you're thinking that, well, I can read your mind. You're thinking you, that I can't read your mind. See how good I am? I'm amazing. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Now, I have a friend, a new friend named Harris III, who is a master illusionist. And he is going to come out and give us kind of a fresh perspective on things that are hard to explain. Would you please welcome Harris III. <laughs> <laughs> 
you, Alan. Good morning. Half of you guys are awake. Uh, a lot of you right now might be thinking, so you're an illusionist and you're a Christian? How's this work out? I just want to set the record straight. Everything that I do here on the stage, I always tell people, it's just an illusion. It's just a trick. I always let people know that any eight-year-old child can perform what I do up here on this stage with about 15 years of practice, all right? So uh, they're just tricks. And people always come up to me after these tricks, like the one I'm going to do with this deck of cards. And they'll say, Harris, I know all this stuff works, man. I bet you just went to people before the service started. You told them what to do. You told them what to say. I bet the whole thing was rigged and set up and prearranged. Well, to make sure that's not the case, I'm going to let three people uh, take a look at these cards, but I have no control over which three people are going to look at them. We're going to make it completely random. That way there's no way it's set up or prearranged. Three people are going to have a choice, one out of 52. Those are your odds. And uh, this is what these rubber bands around my wrists are for. They're just going to rubber band the deck up nice and tight like this so the cards don't go everywhere. And then I'm going to take the cards, I'm going to throw them out into the audience. And whoever they smack in the head... Or whoever catches the cards, hopefully that's who will help out. Now, let me explain how this is going to work to everyone, just in case you're one of the people that catches the cards. I need you to look at a card so that for the sake of our illustration, you'll have something to focus on. Don't look at the one here on the front, the King of Hearts. That'd be way too simple and obvious for me. We're going to make it difficult. Go deep into the middle. So up here, if you catch the cards, up here in the corner where the cards are printed, I want you to just lift up the corner there. Anywhere you'd like, look at a card, memorize the name of one of the cards that you see, memorize it, don't forget it. Make sure you know what the suit is called, everything. Pick one, don't forget it. Don't need to pull it out, just look at it, don't forget it. Don't forget your card, all right? Guys, if you forget your card, this whole thing gets very uninteresting really fast, all right? Don't forget your card, I'm not kidding. We're going to throw the cards from person to person, underhanded like this, all right guys? Underhanded. Underhanded. If you guys go home during the break and look up my YouTube videos, you will find out why this is a really bad idea. All right, we're going underhanded this morning. Heads up, here come the cards. Let's try over here on this side of the audience. Nice. All right, we want to make sure we get these uh, cards to, this is for this, just for this. We want to go to a teenager or adult who has the cards. Hold your hands up so I can see who has them. Perfect. And he's uh, showing it to multiple people. Glad you can follow instructions, sir. Great job. That's all right. Throw to the second person audience. Yeah, underhanded to the second person audience. Hey, perfect. All right, sir. Your second person, second card. Your eyes only. Lift up anywhere you'd like. Look at a card. Memorize one. Don't forget it. Third person right over here. You guys are quick. Nice. All right. Someone pick up the cards. Perfect. I heard a cracking noise. I think that was the floor. All right. Who has the cards? She's passing them off. All right. Good job. You got out of it. Third person, third card. Does you have one? Let me know. Do you have the cards? All right. Throw the cards all the way up here to me on the stage on the count of three. I'm from Nashville. It is a tough crowd here in Phoenix this morning. That's all right. It's all right. It's all right. Don't worry about it. This is where things get a lot more interesting. If you just looked at a card, please stand up. All three people, please stand up. We had one right over here on this side of the room, one right over there, and one right... <laughs> That's good. You can follow instructions. Good job. You're doing good. You're doing good. I'm just messing with you. Right now, I want all three of you to focus on your card. Don't just say the name of your card in your mind. I want you to picture it. I want you to visualize it in your mind's eye, all right? Pretend like there's a big movie screen sort of hanging invisibly up here in the air and that you're projecting the image of your card up on this screen. Picture it in color. Picture the number of spots, the shape of those spots. If it's a face card, picture the letter with the shape next to it. Really picture your card. Right now, I'm without them saying anything at all, with them just thinking about their cards, I'm going to try to get a feeling of the picture of the card they're thinking of. As I get this feeling, I'm going to name their cards. As I name your card, I want you to keep a straight face. Don't say yes, don't say no, don't shake your head, don't even smile, okay? Just listen, we'll save the suspense until the end. Concentrate. Okay, all right. 
One of you has a five of spades. It's like the arrow. There's a face card. Yeah, this one is a... It's a queen of diamonds. Queen of diamonds. Eight. Eight of clubs, like the clover. If I correctly named the card you were thinking of, please sit down. All right, let's give them all three a big round of applause. Thank you very much. Now, before anyone here gets too freaked out and starts thinking, who invited this guy to church? Let me make myself, again, really clear. I don't want anyone to leave here today confused about what you're experiencing. I'm an illusionist. That means that was just a trick. A trick on your eyes, a trick on your minds, and nothing more. It wasn't real. In fact, it's a simple trick that I can explain to everyone here this morning, probably in about five minutes or less. I won't. But I could. The reason I won't is not only would it ruin all the fun you're about to have, it's that wonder that makes magic so magical. But second, even if I told you the secret, it wouldn't automatically give you the ability to perform that illusion. Uh, the art of magic or illusion, just like any other art form, like playing any of these instruments on stage, it takes hours of practice that are required to be invested into it in order to be able to perform it and make it seem so believable. In other words, many times very simple to understand, but very difficult to execute. That's where the practice comes in. Now, through these illusions, I've had the opportunity to travel literally around the world, five continents now, and almost 15 different countries. Ten years ago, I was on this tour in Southeast Asia, two countries, India and Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka is this little small island off the southern coast of India. While I was in Sri Lanka, we performed an illusion with an old antique table, very similar to this one up here on stage. After the show, this man came up to me very fascinated by this table. He had one question, where did you get it? I thought it's because he wanted to learn the secret. Come to find out, the reason he wanted to know is because down the street from where he lived, in his village, there was a man who had a table that looked exactly like ours. Now, the man who had the table claimed that it could move around, that it could slide across the floor without anyone touching it. He said this was possible because of spirits, that the spirits were manifesting their presence by making the table move. Naturally, as an illusionist, I was really skeptical, but also really intrigued. And so I took a little trip to visit this man with the supposed table. What I discovered shocked me and taught me a very powerful lesson I will never forget. Now, before I tell you what that lesson was, let me perform this illusion for you. To do this, I need some more help from the audience. I want to actually get someone up here on stage this time. If you'd like to help, please raise your hand. Let's go with, uh, how about in the second row right there in the pink? Yeah, come on up. Yeah, you perfect. Come on down. Everyone give her a big round of applause. Clap for her. Hello. Thank you for volunteering. What's your name? Tiana. Tiana. Very nice to meet you, Tiana. You can stand right there for me. I'm going to take this table. I'm going to place it right here in between you and I. Tiana, turn around and face me. Step forward just a little bit. A little bit more. A little bit more. Oh, back just a little bit. Right there over that trap door. I'm, I'm just kidding. There's nothing down there. I'm just messing with you. Not the secret to this trick. All right. There's, as you can see, there's a tablecloth, you know, draped across the top of the table. I'm going to let you help me hang on to the corners of the tablecloth. Grab the two corners on that side. I'm going to hold on to the two corners on this side. I just want you to hold those corners lightly in your hands like this. All right. Make sure no matter what happens that you don't hold the table down. Don't press the table down. Don't hold it down. Anything like that. Just hold the corners lightly with plenty of slack. Tiana, sometimes this works, sometimes it doesn't, okay? If this table starts to move, I just need you to move with it, okay?
drop the tablecloth for a second. Put your arms up here at the top above the table. Make sure there's no strings connected to the air. No? All right. Go ahead and pick up the corners of the tablecloth. Big round of applause for helping us out. Diana, thank you so much for coming up. Watch your step as you go back to your seat. <laughs> All right, let me take you guys back to Asia about 10 years ago. Remember the guy who told me he had seen this table before? He was telling the truth. Down the street from where he was, there really was a guy who had a table that looked exactly like mine. However, the part about him communicating with spirits, that was a big fat lie. He was not communicating with spirits. He was doing nothing supernatural in any way whatsoever. Now you might think, Harris, man, how do you know for sure? Well, I told you we went to visit him. After we did, we found out and discovered that he got his table from the same place I got mine. He ordered it from a magic trick catalog from the state of Kansas, all the way from the United States of America. He was doing a trick, albeit a difficult trick, a difficult one that took both he and I about six months of hard work and practice to build a performance the way that you just saw it. But it was just a trick. But if it wasn't real, why did thousands of people in his country believe and buy into this lie that he was telling? But what I've discovered as an illusionist is that human beings, we have a tendency to trust and live our lives by our senses. What we see, smell, taste, touch, and hear. We trust our senses, don't we? We see things with our own eyes. We even have little sayings that we've coined, like seeing is believing. But what I've learned is that what I do proves that seeing is not always believing. Things are not always as they seem. Things are, what you see is not always what you get. What you hear, even with your own ears, is not always true. So if people are so easily tricked and deceived, I had to make some really difficult discoveries. Well, I was asking myself some really difficult questions, I should say, when it comes to my faith. Because what about all these claims about this guy named Jesus? I mean, he supposedly performed these miracles, right? Where he healed the sick, the blind, the crippled, even raising himself from the dead. As an illusionist, I started asking myself, was Jesus a really good magician? Did he just trick people into believing it was God? What I came to the conclusion of after studying the miracles of Jesus, from the perspective of someone who understands how illusions are created, there is no possible way that Jesus could have done what he did unless he was the son of an almighty God, the creator of the universe. Guys, after I asked myself that question and arrived at that answer and made that discovery, that, my friends, changed everything about who I am, about why I do what I do, and even about how I do it. That's what we're going to talk about more this morning. In fact, let's just jump to the chase and get to that. Will you please help me welcome Alan back to the stage? Thank you, guys. Happy Easter. All right, let's see.
I don't know about you, but I want a little bit more Harris. So uh, tonight, he's going to put on a full show. Hopefully, you'll be able to work it in your schedule to come back. And uh, it'll be 5 bucks a person, 20 bucks maximum for a family. Be uh, child care available for kids under 5. And it's going to be a blast. So hopefully, uh, you'll be able to join our family here tonight and have a little bit more of, uh, of Harris's steel. My guess is that for most of you, you're asking the same question that I ask when you watch something like that, when you witness something like that. How does he do it? I mean, that's a reasonable question, right? How does he do it? How, how does it happen? Is there a plant? Is he just a really good shot? Are there plants within the room? Are there, are there wires? Are there magnets? Is there, somebody said after the first uh, celebration this morning, it's all remote control. His wife is back there, remote controlling the whole thing. Jet propulsion, I guess. I don't, well, I mean, how does he do it? How does this all work. And uh, it's a very reasonable question. In fact, that's where our mind wants to go, uh, especially our, our modern Western mind. The mind wants to explain whatever it encounters. So whatever we encounter, the first thing we want to do, everything that's set before us is we want to explain, we want to explain how this works, how this looks the way it does. And it starts at an early age with our kids. Uh, I have three kids. I can't tell you the number of times that I've been asked the question, why? Like, I don't know how many times that would be. Uh, maybe this might sound familiar for some of you this morning. Uh, okay, put your shoes on, please, my darling, loving, lovely children, please. Why? Well, because we're going to church. Why? Because it's Easter, and we're going to share the love and the joy of Jesus. Why? Because he died for your sins and your insolent questions. I mean, the whole thing goes, and it's just this drive for information. Why, why, why? And typically those conversations end the same way with a great deal of power from the one on authority. Because I said so. That's the way they finally end. Because the explanation never quite covers it. The mind that we've been given seeks an explanation. When something is set before our mind, we want to have it explained. That's what makes the resurrection so tricky. The fact that Jesus was alive, that he was a person, that he existed, that he walked around, that he taught, that's not debated. There are literally thousands of historical documents and copies of documents, both within what we call our Bible and documents outside of our Bible that Talk about the existence of a person named Jesus 2,000 years ago in Palestine. It's irrefutable. The fact that he died, that's not really in question. Medical uh, experts will look at the account of Jesus that we find and the account of his crucifixion and, and this whole story of the spear going in his side and the liquid that comes out, saying, if that all happened, that person would die. And the percentage of persons who could survive a Roman crucifixion was right around zero. I mean, he, he died. The issue then comes in when we start talking about the resurrection. That's where it becomes tricky. And if that's hard for you, or if that has been hard for you, you're, you're not alone. It's a struggle for many to kind of go after this thing that is, that is unexplainable. It, we've been looking at John chapter 20, and there's a story in there of one of the disciples who really struggled with this part of Jesus resurrecting from the dead. Right before the section I read to you in uh, John chapter 20, right before that beginning in verse 24 is the story of Thomas. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is saying, you have the benefit of having this explained to you. You can explain to your mind that there is a physical person standing in front of you who is alive. Blessed are those who will be able to believe without having the physical presence of Jesus standing before them. Blessed are those who can believe the unexplainable. Remember, Jesus didn't just appear before the 12. Jesus didn't just appear before the disciples and then they told the story to others and then so on and they told to friends and so on and so on and so on. Jesus appeared before thousands of people, thousands, and the Romans and the Jews who did not want this story to get out, they could not contain it. It got too big too fast, but they tried to contain it. There's this section in the Easter story in Matthew's version of the Easter story. Comes right before what we call the Great Commission at the end of Matthew 28, for those of you who are familiar with those verses. Right before that is just this amazing historical information about, about their struggle with the unexplainable. I want to read this with you real quick. Matthew 28. Matthew 28, beginning in verse 12. Matthew says this, When the chief priests had met with the elders. Now these are the Jews. These are the leaders of the Jewish community there. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers, these are the Romans, a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. They needed to explain it. This is, this is unexplainable. So Jews, Romans, let's get together. Let's figure out a way that we can explain this so we can move on. But the story had too much power. Their minds needed to explain it. But the tricky part, the difficult part, the message of Easter is that the resurrection doesn't explain everything. It certainly doesn't explain itself. The resurrection doesn't explain everything. It changes everything. The resurrection doesn't explain everything for our minds that need explanation. It changes everything. What Harris did, by his own admission, is explainable. It is not supernatural. It's an illusion. But we have a choice as we encounter that, as we witness it. We can say, I want to figure out how that's done. I want to go to Kansas. I want to buy one of those tables. I want to find out where he bought that table. I want to figure out how this is done. I want to Google it. I want to become an illusionist myself so that I can get in on the club and find out how these things are done. I want to date an illusionist so I can figure out how this is done. I want to go to Sri Lanka. I want to do whatever I can. i got to figure it out. I'm not settled until I can have it explained. Or... We can allow ourselves to be amazed 
and to go, wow, I can't explain that, and I'm enjoying the wonder of it. That's where I like to be. I've seen it three times now. I, I, I watch, I'm sitting right here. I'm watching really carefully. No idea. The cards are different every time. I just don't get it. It's awesome. Now, different than that, however, what Jesus did is not explainable. It is supernatural. But we still have a choice when we encounter it, when we read it, when we think about it, when we encounter it here on Easter. We still have a choice. Do we say, no, it needs to be explainable to me. I can't enter into that. I, 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 that we, we don't allow for the supernatural, that we hold on for this stuff to be explainable, and then once it's explainable, then we'll be able to press through and move forward. Either that's where we are, or we allow ourselves to be amazed. We allow ourselves to enter into the wonder of the miraculous, the wonder of what Jesus did, the wonder of the resurrection. We have a choice in terms of how we're going to respond. Now, I'm not saying shut off your brain. I'm not saying, well, we read Scripture, and that's hard to understand, and so then we just, we just kind of shut the brain down. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we have a choice when we come across these things. When you come across the words of Jesus, the stories of Jesus, and we say, do I need this to be explained, or am I willing to be changed by it? Am I allowing this to change me, or do I need it to be explained? When you encounter the difficult parts of life, the stuff that you can't explain, the, the stuff that is hard when bad things happen to good people or good things happen to bad people, when you, um, when you are trying to get pregnant and you can't and these other couples that you don't know why they get to be pregnant, why is that? You can't explain that. It's not fair. Or maybe you're aware of some, uh, somebody who, who got sick and you're just wondering, how is that happening to that person? or why terrible things happen to children around the world. See, these things, God doesn't do these things. He doesn't make these things happen. We live in a broken, fallen world. God is able to redeem those things. And the question that we ask as we enter into that stuff is, do I need to have it explained? Will I remain in a place of, of lack of peace until it is explained to me satisfactorily, or am I willing to be changed by it? Am I willing to have God come and transform me through that experience? This morning we're remembering and celebrating the unbelievable yet historic event of Jesus rising from the grave. And on that Monday morning 2,000 years ago, most were unmoved. Most of the Jews, in, in, in response to that whole situation, most of the Jews still believed that the Messiah was yet to come. Most of the Romans still were trying to expand and strengthen the empire. But some, like 11 of the 12 disciples, like the thousands who had encountered Jesus and seen him alive, for them, it changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. And it's through them, it's through their legacy that we have the story here today. And on Monday morning tomorrow, many of us will remain unmoved. We'll launch into Monday morning just like any other Monday morning. 
And it'll just be the same. You'll still enter into the same stresses and pressures of life. You'll still be annoyed by the same people that you work with and the little ticks and noises that they make and the one guy who comes in every Monday and talks about the newly released movie and tells you what the plot is and you go, would you just be quiet because you haven't seen the movie yet? You'll still be annoyed by those same things. Yes, I know in Sixth Sense he's dead. I know. Maybe you'll enter into the same arguments with your spouse or with your kids, same stuff that you've been arguing with forever and Monday you'll be an unmoved person. You went to Easter, yeah, it was great. You got dressed up and you finally found a parking spot and the whole thing and you got in there and now you're unmoved. But others of you, on Monday, are moved because of the power of the resurrection. Maybe you're moved because sometime years ago, you embraced the reality of this unexplainable situation. You've embraced that, and you've allowed that to change your life. And as a result, tomorrow, you're a different person than you were before you had believed. Maybe you'll believe today or this weekend for the first time. You'll allow yourself to get beyond the unexplainable to allow it to change you, and you'll be a different person. You see... The resurrection of Jesus validates everything Jesus said prior to that. He said this would happen. His resurrection validates everything. That's why it transformed the disciples. Even the stuff that's hard to swallow, that's difficult for us to read, to hear from Jesus, it validates it all. It changes everything. It resets our values. It redefines our perspective of how we see things. It expands time so that life is not just the 80 years that we expected to have lived life, but life is now eternity. It transforms hearts that seemed callous that they could not be transformed any longer. It sets captives free, as Jesus says. It sets those who are spiritually or emotionally or even physically captive, sets them free. It changes everything. So on Monday morning, after Easter, will you be moved or not? Will will you continue to require an explanation for this fantastic story of Jesus rising from the grave? Or will you allow yourself to experience the power, the life-changing power of the resurrection and the reality that Jesus really is who he said he is and that we can have a relationship with him? We can be one of the twelve. My hope and invitation is that you would join us over the next few weeks as we enter into the wonder of who Jesus is and how he can transform our lives. I hope to see you there. Would you, would you stand with me as we close up here? I want to pray with you, and then the band is going to come lead us in one more song. Would you pray with me? God, I'm thankful today that we get to experience the wonder of your resurrection that you've given us a mind that can engage, can fully engage in things that are difficult. And we do want to solve problems and go after things. It's what makes life so interesting so often. But God, when it comes to the miracle of your resurrection, Father, may our minds not hold us back from being transformed by that. May we experience a little bit of that today. May we be moved heading into tomorrow, into this week, because Christ is risen. We celebrate that today in Jesus' name. Amen.